Welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast. I'm Michelle Davey. And I'm Christelle. And it's Monday the 29th of March. The start of World Autism Awareness Week. And this is the Let's Talk Autism podcast marathon. This week, as part of the National Autistic Society's Super 7 Challenge, we will be recording seven podcasts a day for the seven days of World Autism Awareness Week. That's 49 podcasts in a week. It sure is. We better get on with it, Christelle. Let's go. Roll tiles. Welcoming back. Super excited to welcome secret EHCP officer Mole. Sometimes, obviously, some of these EHCPs are failed. What do you mean by failed? They're not put through. Like you're saying, no, this child actually doesn't need any provisions all this is a little bit or you feel like something's been fabricated okay so for example if there's so there may be children with needs you know it's not every single child with needs that needs an ehc plan you know um if the local authority or those who so for example if there's a stage first first of all the local authority have to decide whether or not it's worth doing an assessment on this child if an assessment's done if the local authority agrees and says you know what the needs look However, we need to do an assessment needs to be done so we can know more about this child. If the assessment's done now, then the local authorities have to look at all the paperwork from the assessment and and decide, does this child now need an EHC plan? So if the local authority feels, you know what, the child's got needs. However, the needs are and can be met by the school's current resources and the top-up fee, you know, the money that the school get anyway. So if they feel like the school's financially and then based on their structure can meet the needs of the child then there is no need for an EHC plan. Is that common though that a school would admit that they financially are able to meet the needs of a child? Oh, you'd be surprised there are some schools that even when parents um, ask for EHC plans behind the family's back I know many a time that behind the family's back even though school have been nice to the family, given reports behind the family's back, the school have contacted the local authority and said, I know parents have requested a plan, but we don't believe this child needs an EHC plan. Yes, the child has needs, but we are meeting the child's needs with, with the resources we currently have and are receiving from the local authority. So if we hear that, we're definitely going to say no to an EHC plan. Yeah. Because what you have to understand is EHCs come attached to funding. Yeah. And as, as, as bad as it is, everybody's child is, has a figure on them. And if the local authority can save money, they're going to save money. I guess a lot of parents, that is a common fear that, you know, they're going to lose some funding or lose that support. Can you ultimately yeah. lose an EHCP completely? Yes, well, you can't lose it, but it can be ceased. So, for example, if I went into the review meeting and it was said that, you know, your child has met all the targets and the school felt like, well, these are the new targets... You know, we don't feel he needs additional resources to meet these targets. He's now almost in line with his peers in terms of his academics. Then we would look to cease the EHC plan. However, an EHC plan does stay with you till you're 25 years old. So if we're not ceasing the plan, a child is will like your child will have the EHC plan available till they're 25 years old. Okay. Is that further education, or like if they left education then at 18, then if they left education completely, then yeah, they wouldn't need the EHC plan away. It would be ceased, but there would probably be things that the employer would need to do in order to be able to facilitate the person working there. So would the EHCP follow into that first those first routes of employment as well? It would 
follow into getting them into the employment. However, you can give it to the employer just so at least they can read through it and know, you know, where they've come from to where they are now to know what they need support on. Yeah. But once you normally go into employment, it would begin to cease. What happens if a parent does not agree with the band given for their child? Can you um, contest that? Nope. Banding shouldn't even be discussed with families. Um, families have no say on banding. You know, if you're, I don't know how every borough works, but normally it's a banding the, the amount of money. Yes, yeah. well, it's a banding system. I know so that. Yeah. Band A might be two thousand. Band B might be five. Then ten. Then whatever boroughs vary. Um, mm. But no, you can't contest it. If anybody I've heard wants some parents, it. I've heard some parents say, I don't agree with the band my child's been given. I don't feel like it's enough money to, for the fine. to do what they need to do. I want to argue it. That's fine. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and not to be rude, but the truth is, if, if local authorities, if parents could contest banding and parents could contest one-to-one, then I'm sure every child would be on the highest band with three TAs next to them all day from the day they walk into school till they leave and they'd have speech and language, visit them every morning for three hours. OT would come in for four hours. You know, everyone would create a package that's unaffordable. So that's why it's not in the hands of families and not neither is it in the hands of schools. So if anybody wants to contest the banding, it would have to come from either the Senko or the head teacher. And even they don't really have much of a grounds, but they'd have to basically, if they wanted to contest it, even a family, you'd have to speak to the school and then come with a package and explain why. And you'd have to say, all right, based on these outcomes and these needs and justify it. But you understand that before the band was given, a panel sat and decided that banding. So it has been looked at. So, yeah, there's not much that will really change once the local authorities banded. I think a lot of people, what you're just saying there as well with the money side of it all, is a lot of people think that this money is going to be the, the ultimate, the end game here is one to one support isn't it like that's what people think but actually that's not always the best thing is it can i just say that one-to-one support is so detrimental you know it's it's the the you know if your child's got needs the most fantastic thing in the future for your child would be to be able to fit into society and be as independent as possible if you sit somebody next to your child from their six years old to their 16 17 years old you haven't prepared that person to be independent at all. So although everybody wants anything, no, you know, you can't get one-to-one. I need someone there. It's quite detrimental. And I would say, yes, they may start with one-to-one, but you should always be encouraging, reducing support along, you know, along the time. When you see things are getting met and they're achieving, support should get withdrawn. That way the child won't notice, but a day will come where they're sitting in lessons and doing it on their own. They don't need prompting every single day, all day, you know? So I would tell, you know, I try to tell families all the time, but I, I don't think they see it that way. They see yeah. it as somebody's there to support my child. But really, somebody's there to support your child. When your child doesn't need the support, shouldn't the support leave? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that as well. But for example, with my son, he's still quite young. He's going to be five, mm-hmm. six. And he's a person who puts things in his mouth all the time. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. You know, he puts things in his mouth all the time. So he needs someone that's there constantly. So even, and people miss it. You can be a split second. When I went there and I was just talking to the teacher, I could see him chewing something, opened his mouth and he's got that pencil. Like he's crushed it into pieces and he's got that in there. So for someone like him, he needs a one-to-one. And because he's a flight risk and he's able to climb gates, <laughs> you know, he's able to climb gates and get out of 
you know, the security fences and stuff that they've put in place, mm. someone like that would need a one-to-one. But eventually, I wouldn't, like you said, I wouldn't want him to be, have a one-to-one until he was at like, 16, 17 years old. It's just until he gets to the point where he is now independent and being able to be trusted to do things on his own. Yeah, yeah I, so I, I agree. Like that. With, um, sorry, with, um, I, when I went in, when my son got his EHEP, I was very much where I'd been a teacher myself. But no, he needs one-to-one and he's someone sat next to him. That's what this money's for, you know. And then they said they're going to rotate three or four different teaching assistants. And I was like, no, like, why would you do that to a certain thing? He needs consistency. And they was like, no, but then he'll just be attached to one. Yeah, and that's what I'll assistant. be honest with you. If you give your child the same TA, you child will start to see that TA as a version of you when you're not around. Put it with one person, they'd rather follow that staff around, be with that staff, and then they're not going to engage with peers anymore. They're not trying to interact and, you know, initiate interaction. These are the kind of things that, you know, are meant to be encouraged. You know, go and do shared activities with your peers. Go and talk to this teacher, say good morning to that teacher, and then, you know, later on, this teacher will work with you. Tomorrow, that teacher will work with you. So what that kind of does is, as they develop and get older, they don't mind playing with different children. They don't mind greeting and sitting and talking to different adults. You know, um, an auntie or an uncle might come, but because they're used to three, four different LSAs, they haven't really got an issue with talking to a new auntie or a new uncle because they're used to new faces. If it's one LSA, only mum talks to me at home, your child will become an introvert and become antisocial. Yeah, and I feel that, it's, you know, this is really benefiting to having the rotating TAs and things like that because and also as you say just withdrawing that support at certain times so in the playground yes he that his you know support is in the playground there is somebody there watching him but not playing with him as it was say in reception yeah there is year two going into year three we've just got somebody in the playground that if it does start to bubble a bit <laughs> and we there's something in. happening they're there to step in straight away because yeah. they're trained to step in and you know that's that's that isn't it just bringing it away so now he's got that independence yeah. to play in the playground yeah. not have Brilliant. just somebody crowned him all the time but i know i do i do understand why people think one-to-one next year all the time was the way to go because that's how i felt <laughs> yeah so if you could both just picture this we're what 10 years in the future now roughly Um, both your children are roughly 20 years old so your child's 20 years old he's living in looked after shared quite independent accommodation on his own yeah so which means he makes himself breakfast he pours his own drinks he gets a milk or drink from the fridge makes his own you know tea toast cereal in order to get there can you imagine them living quite 80% independently? And But for the first 18 years of their life, they had one-to-one with them every day in school. It's not going to be, that kind of future won't exist, will it? So in order to get to the future that you as a parent want for your child, you need to try and agree to independence earlier on, if you know what I mean. So for example, Christelle, if your child's always mouthing objects, we get it, you know, there has to be one-to-one to make sure that he's not mouthing objects. But due to, as time goes on, your child will slowly start to understand that teachers won't let it happen. You know, you got to understand, yes, children have needs, but they're very intelligent. You know, just because a child has special educational needs doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. You know, they learn and they pick up stuff and they're smart. So your child will slowly start to understand that that's not tolerated here and they'll do it less and less, which means that 
staff member shouldn't have to sit next to them as often during certain subjects. It just means make sure there's nothing near him to mouth, but he won't look for anything because he knows it's not accepted here. When he does do it, you can say, hey, you know, you know, what are you doing? And they'll smile and they'll put it down. When you've got to a level where they put it down and smile at you, you know, you can only, you only need to prompt them. If from a distance you say, what are you doing? And they still mouth objects, you know, all right, we tried that, it didn't work, back to sitting a bit closer again. But the aim is to always try and create the independence and keep a bit of distance so that they can mentally start to manage themselves. Well, thank you, Mr. Mould. <laughs> you know, we could keep on talking for a long time because it's such a big topic, but thank you so much for coming back and catching up with us and giving us all this advice and information that I know a lot of people find really, really helpful. But no problem. Thanks for having me back. I loved it. <laughs> always there to help always there to help any other questions you have or topics you want to discuss i'm always yeah we'll do another question and answer i think soon thanks very much bye no worries bye <laughs>